Hello and welcome to you all. It is Friday, September 16th, and you know what that means, the Friday bit, not the September 16th part. It is time for Fake News Friday. Yes, my friends, this is Andrew Lawton, joined as always by my colleague and host of Ratioed on True North, Harrison Faulkner. Harrison, we gaze back upon another week that was. What was your take on the week? Well, my take on it, I think, Andrew, is one we'll get on, we'll, we'll be talking about on the show, and it's just the the overwhelming, I don't even know if you could call it a meltdown or you want to call it this this sort of rush to paint Paul Yev, the new conservative leader, as something uh, as something that the media want him to, but it's been quite the spectacle, I have to say, this week. It's really made for good TV. Yeah, we were doing, uh, Harrison and I, alongside our colleague Sue Ann Levy and Ali Kenton Nantel and Jasmine Moulton and the whole team, last Saturday, a conservative leadership results show where we were uh, documenting in real time and commenting on the results of the conservative leadership. And at the very beginning of the show, I asked Harrison and I asked Sue Ann, I said, what, what is it you're watching for tonight? And I was thinking, they would say, oh, you know, I'm curious about how Jean Charest does in a bit to bit or, well, you know, I'm curious how Leslie Lewis does in Calgary Center. But no, Harrison said, you know, I'm looking for the mainstream media freakouts. And don't we have a show packed full of them just six days after that? Uh, let's start off with, I think, the overarching one here. We're, we're going to be talking about the Pierre Polyev derangement syndrome a lot over the course of this episode because there has been, I think, a big freakout of it. Now that it's gone from Pierre Polyev, the leadership candidate, to Pierre Polyev, the candidate for prime minister, as he says, there are some people in the parliamentary press gallery that don't seem too pleased by it. Now, I know this has happened a few days ago, but I, I think it's revealing of the dynamic at play here. So we're going to get it out of the way now. Here is Pierre Polyev's first time stepping before the media as the leader of the Conservatives. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate your presence here today. Uh, before I begin, let me just say that... Uh, if, if, thank, thank you very much. Am I being, I'm being heckled here by, by, by the, by, thank you very much for your congratulations. Thank you very much for your questions. I'm going to begin my remarks now. Justin Trudeau is out of touch and Canadians are out of money. The cost of government is driving up the cost of living. A half a trillion dollars of inflationary deficits have bid up the cost of the goods we buy and the, and the interest that Canadians pay. The cost for workers and businesses to produce the goods that we buy. On top of that, Trudeau proposes yet more spending to bid up costs Trudeau even further. The more, things the more he spends, the more things cost. It is just inflation. Their homes and to buy a home in the very first place. The reason that... The, look, Yep. So I mean, we, we have we we have uh, basically a, a liberal heckler who snuck in here today. To well, are you going to let me you make my mistake? From the guy who actually reported yeah. first on the prime minister breaking the law. Yeah. Are you going to we let just me make like my statement? Ask a question. Say yes. I've so never, I've actually never seen you heckling. The Prime Minister. Ask Minister Never Baird back heckling in the, day. the Prime Minister. Look, bottom line is this. I'm going to take some questions at the end of this statement. Yes, I'm taking, I'll be taking two questions at the Excellent. very end. Thank I'll you very much. Thank you very much. The, uh, so I'm going to start my statement again.
Ah, uh, yes, and the uh, liberal heckler there, David Aiken, has since apologized for that exchange. He said it wasn't appropriate. The reason I wanted to play that to really set the stage here is because this has now triggered, I guess in more ways than one, but it's triggered a bunch of other responses from mainstream media journalists that we're going to get to over the course of today. But the big one is this idea that Pierre Polyev is this evil, big, scary, mean populist. This, this is like the word of the day this week for most of these journals, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think we're starting to see this, this, this strategy from the media appear now. It's been a few days, as you said, and they've had some time to let the result sink in. And I think what, what we're starting to see, Andrew, and we'll, we'll get to this with the reaction from the other journalists to that clip we just saw. But what I think we're starting to see is the media have realized their attempt at trying to paint Polyev as this divisive figure that is appealing to the fringes of Canadian politics hasn't worked. Right. That, that's that's obvious because of the result that he had in the election, the leadership election, the, the overwhelming majority of points going his way. So the new strategy, I think, Andrew, from the media is to say that when Polyev goes at the media, when, when he when Polyev sort of returns the favor toward the media, it's it's him demonizing the media. The, the new strategy, I think, is to from these journalists we're starting to see is to make themselves the victims of the of Pierre Polyev. And when, when they realize that their, their attempts at trying to paint Polyev as, as this divisive figure clearly haven't worked. So, yeah, I think we're starting to see a new strategy uh, come from the media. And that was the if that was the first go at it, Andrew, then I think we'll, maybe that's a harbinger of what's to come uh, with Polyev, press pool, and Ottawa relations. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Wary, who's a, a big CBC politics guy, said that uh, this is the arrival of, quote, 21st century populism in Canada, the internet-fueled, resentment-driven wave that has already flooded American and British politics. So he's not coming out and saying it, but he's like, this guy's Trump, this guy's Boris Johnson. Uh, this was also at the core of this really, really bizarro Theo Mudakis uh, cartoon in the Toronto Star, which you can take a look at on the screen there. Uh, it's like... I'm kind of even having trouble describing it. It's like Donald Trump is calling Pierre Polyev and Pierre Polyev is looking or squinting at the bondage dungeon he has in his basement uh, where he keeps Patrick Brown and Aaron O'Toole and Jean Charest. So the, uh, you know, Polyev bondage dungeon has uh, Jean Charest and Aaron O'Toole and Patrick Brown and it's Trump that's on the phone there. I mean, you, you just throw every cliche at it and hope that one of them sticks. So where he's basically doing that, that Polyev is just this carbon copy of this thing that you're always supposed to see and hate in these other countries. But what, what I'm going to hone in on is resentment-driven. I think this presupposes that there's something wrong with resenting the state of affairs in this country when people have been left behind. And, and I actually fundamentally reject that premise. I think there are some people that are completely within their right to be resentful of a society in which they've not been able to get, a, get ahead, a society in which the wealth is spread so unevenly, which used to be something the left cared about. Well, what does it say, Andrew, when the, the one candidate in the leadership race that seems to, I think it's, it's, it would, wouldn't be unreasonable to say that he is the best at articulating that resentment that a lot of Canadians are feeling. What does it say when journalists turn that around and immediately paint the one person who's speaking to the issues that, that Canadians are really, uh, that, that Canadians have to, have to face? That, that politician is, is Donald Trump. That, per, that person is, is, uh, is someone that they, they try and paint as evil. It's... I think you're right. It speaks to this idea that it's not just 
the, it's not just the opposition, it's not just liberals telling conservatives that they're wrong to be thinking the, the way that they think or to be take, taking issue with the issues they, they care about. It's the journalists as well. And I think that's, that's just only going to lead down the same problems we hear these legacy media journalists talk about so often. How, how often on the show, Andrew, have we talked about legacy journalists making themselves a story and saying that they're victims from a lot of angry tweets and angry statements, and some I'm sure are very rude and, and not appropriate. But when, when the journalists are the ones that are mocking people who talk about the issues that a lot of Canadians care about, I, what, what do you have to say about that? I think it speaks really to this disconnect we always try and we always try and highlight on the show that legacy media is just disconnected from a lot of Canadians, and that that's become so clear in the first what has it been two three days of Pierre Polyev's leadership of the opposition. It's just been crazy to watch. Yeah, and the issues they do care about and, and choose to jump up and down on are generally not the ones other Canadians care about. And, and certainly this was the case during the leadership where it was conservative members who were voting and, you know, they weren't interested in the same things that, you know, every other CBC journalist was interested in. But even now, so the, the big Globe and Mail exclusive, in fact, I, I feel, you know, we ex exclusive doesn't quite do justice to just how groundbreaking this journalism is. Step aside, Pulitzer, Step aside, Nellie Bly. Step aside, uh, Woodward. Uh, the, the breaking news story, Pierre Polyev, the official opposition leader, is planning to move into the residence reserve for the leader of the official opposition. Like, I'm, I'm shocked to my very core that Pierre Polyev is moving into Stornoway. But that's the big Globe and Mail <laughs> exclusive. I like the quote that his press secretary, Anthony Koch, gave. Of course, he will be moving into Stornoway. It's like, yeah, duh, why are you bothering me with this question? Of course, he's like, did you ask Justin Trudeau if he was going to move into one of his residences? No, it's of course, he's going to live there. And you can take issue with uh, why are we as a country paying for the leader of the official opposition to have a house? That's a legitimate question. But it's not like they're trying to just pigeonhole him. Oh, he talks about the gatekeepers and he talks about affordability and he talks about people not having a house, but he's moving into that house. It's, it's, it's just so ridiculous. And the way that Globe and Mail framed it was disingenuous from the start. They try and paint it as though Polyev is, again, as you said, doing something that he isn't supposed to do or is out of, out of step with tradition. I mean, every single opposition leader, even the interim leaders, stayed in store in a way. And I, for one, actually kind of think that tradition, in this sense, is very important. It's been a week that we've been watching tradition play out in the UK. And... These things matter. In my opinion, at least, they matter. I want the Prime Minister, for example, not to be living in, in, in the, wh wherever he is, in uh, Rideau Cottage. We have a house for the Prime Minister. That's where I want the Prime Minister to be. I want the Leader of the Opposition to be in the, in the house that they're supposed to be in. It's, it's tradition. It's what we've been doing in this country. And the, the, the headline of Pierre Polyev planned to move into publicly funded Stornoway residence, like, Everyone knows it's publicly funded, right? Everyone knows it's paid for by the taxpayer. What a lot of Canadians don't know, however, is I'm pretty sure the figure was $11 million, Andrew. Uh, the, the Prime Minister spent $11 million renovating and upgrading the Prime Minister's cottage, which I too also think the Prime Minister should have access to. Again, it's not me taking issue with the, with the properties being there. It's the fact that the media are, are grasping at, at, at thin air here, trying to trying to turn a, a non-story into something and, and doing it in, in the worst way, which is, of course, trying to paint the opposition leader as, as some, somebody who doesn't care about, about the, the, the public dollar when he's all, all, all he's doing is doing what his job tells him to do, which is have, an, have a house in Ottawa, and it happens to be this one that the 
taxpayer pays for. It's such a non-story. And it's really disappointing. But And, and actually, to be, queer, to be fair, not something I would have uh, expected to see from the Globe and Mail, but just ridiculous. And, and, and rightly so. Anthony Koch, the, the press secretary, uh, had a great response to it, I think. You just got to you just kind of laugh at this at stuff like this, and I don't even know if it's worthy of a response to a journalist writing the story. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but you could tell they wanted more because if you if you read the actual story, it's like they, they kept asking further questions about it, like you know, oh, he didn't respond to uh, the conservative leader's views on the move. Well, I assume the views on the move are I've got to get packing because this move is coming up, and you know, other stuff like that. And they they claim that this is a lot more controversial than it really is. Uh, the word I I, I want to pull it up exactly. I think it was that it's bedeviled. The issue of whether to move in has bedeviled previous opposition leaders. It really hasn't. They've all moved in. I mean, they've all just like moved in. Even the interim leaders tend to move in because that is what it's there for. And again, if you want to have the discussion that there shouldn't be, someone pointed this out to me the other day, which I, I don't actually think is wrong or I, like an off-base comment that, you know, why do we have for the loser of an election an official residence? That's a fair point, but we do have it. And unless someone's proposing to get rid of it, it this is just such a non-issue. But again, par for the course in how these are uh, often trying to portray Pierre Polyev. But what else has like irked you this week about the media coverage? Well, one thing that I just found to be very bizarre was this idea that Pierre Polyev is painting the media as the enemy, which is clearly, by the way, a line they're trying to attribute to Pierre Polyev uh, when they know that it, it, it sort of, rep it, for some people, it's representative of the Trump era. They want to try and attribute that quote to Pierre Polyev. They, people are trying to say that Pierre Polyev is calling the media the enemy when he didn't say that at all. So after the David Aiken story, Pierre Polyev wrote a fundraising email off of what had happened, and there's been some criticism of that. I'm not going to really get into that part of it, but it's it's the reaction to the fundraising email. These journalists, we've got we've got uh, Rachel Gilmore of Global News, we've got Amber Mack, the tech journalist. Amber Mack, for example, basically took the took the fundraising email that Pierre Polyev wrote to conservatives and wrote week number one: the media is the enemy. This is a dangerous path, specifically naming a member of the media as the enemy in your email to thousands of supporters. It's pure intimidation by someone who interrupts for a living. The problem is, Andrew, nowhere in that fundraising email did Pierre use the words enemy. He didn't even use the word enemy. He's not painting the media as the enemy. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's how the, dare you label him as your enemy? I didn't. <laughs> it's the only... Well, still, you, you thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's, it's, it's this idea that they don't even have the ammunition. They don't have the right ammunition to go after Paul yet for it. So they're, they're making it up. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, that, that was bizarre. And, it, and it's like the, the script has already been written before the circumstances come up that justify using it. And, and one way where you saw that was CUPE, which is like the big public sector union, had launched this attack on uh, Pierre Polyev this week that I, I just want to share. They said, it's too bad that unlike Andrew Scheer, Pierre Polyev does not hold American citizenship because he would be right at home as governor of a state like Alabama. It's like they've already purchased, like from you know their local you know county comedy writer, a bunch of jokes that they didn't get to about Andrew Shear, and now they're like, all right, well, just just cross out Shear and write Polyev. It's like they they've already determined the line of attack they're going to take, and they don't even think about how well or not well this stuff is landing. Yeah, and, and of course I I'm just going through some of these other ridiculous takes, and I stumble I I see this one here from the Toronto Star. Go figure. Uh, this is from uh, Bruce Arthur, and we at True North get name dropped in this article, Andrew. Oh yeah, we we get a shout out. Yes, we do. <laughs> so the the of course the press pool in Ottawa they took issue I think with the fact that 
media outlets like True North, like Rebel, uh, they mentioned, they even mentioned the, uh, the page Ontario Proud. These journalists took issue with the fact that we clipped the, the, <laughs> the interaction, if you want to call it, the heckling from David Aiken. And I just want to read this paragraph because I think it speaks to this idea that we're talking about, this idea that you can just attribute quotes and, and statements to uh, Pierre Polyev or to media that the legacy media disagree with when we've never said it. So right here, this, this quote I find interesting. Polyev seemed to have been thrown off balance. Media dust-ups happen all the time. They just aren't broadcast live. Far-right websites such as The Rebel and True North Center or right-wing influencer Ontario Proud rushed to push out the video. All three, self-servingly, love to say mainstream media is the enemy. That's typical stuff. Funny, Andrew, in that clip, I don't think... In fact, I think we posted it three times, three different angles. Nowhere. I think, Andrew, did we say the media is the enemy? But then again, I guess it doesn't, I guess it, I guess it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's printed or not. It's, it's attributed to us no matter what. Yeah, and we didn't even really editorialize. We just let like David Aiken's conduct and Pierre Polyev's response speak for itself. But I mean, people see in this what they want to see. Like people that don't like him are like, oh, he got thrown off balance. Keto Maggie, the pollster, he went on this big, long like Twitter rant, which I like it took me like four times falling asleep before I got to the end. But when I got to the end, his his fundamental point was that, you know, Pierre Polyev lost it under, he cracked under pressure. And I'm like, well, the fact that they sent out that clip in a fundraising email suggests they think you know, Pierre Polyev probably handled himself just fine. Yeah, I think, I think, that, I think obviously that's the way it comes across to the, the, the majority of people. I think the clip went viral, not because of Polyev's response, but because of the behavior of the journalist. Uh, and I think, like you said, everyone recognized that. But here's the other thing. So the media have been taking issue, Andrew, with the fact that Polyev in the media availability, and I know we can call it what we want to call it, I think when you speak to press, a lot of people view that as a press conference without knowing the, the lingo that is used in the industry. So people view it as a press conference, and they take issue with the fact that Pierre Polyev was not even supposed to take any questions, but then he ended up taking only two questions, and because of that, the media, take a, the, the media gave themselves a pass, I guess, or gave one of their uh, peers a pass to heckle the uh, Pierre Polyev over it. But this is not the first time, this should not come as a surprise, Andrew, because Justin Trudeau has done this many times. Justin Trudeau often puts limits on how many questions he can take, or for example, like he did at one, like he did at one trip, he basically said that any journalist who blurts out a question gets escorted off the property from one of his trips. I think that's what we saw from that Jesse was just Brown. Like three, that was just in July. It wasn't even like ancient history exactly. to go back Exactly. They don't to have that. to go that far back in their, in their newspapers to find out when that occurred. So again, it's, it's... We shouldn't be expecting uh, journalists to call balls and strikes the way we'd like them to. I think everyone takes issue and can find issue with that. But at least, can we get some consistency, please? This, is, this shouldn't have come as some surprise. Justin Trudeau has done this plenty of times. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't have to go back that far, I guess, to 2019 when the liberals had like had police escort me out of a public event. It wasn't even a press event at the time because, you know, they were just concerned that, you know, he might be in the vicinity of a, of a tough question. So it is, you know, quite ridiculous how, and again, I, I said on my show, and I, I don't want to relitigate the point, I said on my show that I think not taking questions at your inaugural, inaugural event is, is a mistake. It's a, a tactical shortcoming. But at the same time, that's his call and, and he's going to make it and his team's going to make it and, and that's that. But I, I thought it was just incredibly, incredibly bizarre that this is like the hill to die on for so many of them who then leap to David Aiken's offense. Yeah, defense, even when David apologizes for it, when he realizes, yeah, that probably wasn't right. Yeah, and, and Andrew, we there's so much to there's so much to go over on this this 
sort of week that was in Canadian politics, this this major week with Polyev as the new leader. I want to highlight uh, a comment or a tweet thread that we got that we saw from Althea Raj, um, who basically did this, in my opinion, Andrew, shameless defense of the prime minister, uh, a, a completely ridiculous jump to the defense of the prime minister while quote tweeting in opposition MP. So uh, Lance, Melissa Lanceman, the now the deputy leader of the conservative party under Pierre Polyev wrote on Twitter, I'm old enough to remember that time when the prime minister called an election and weaponized vaccines, calling everyone who disagreed with him racist and misogynist. We have the French clip. You've all seen it many, many times. Althea Raj quote tweeted Melissa Lanceman and wrote, Clarification. He didn't call everyone who disagreed with him racist and misogynist. He was talking about the aggressive protesters who showed up during the campaign when he said these protesters are people who don't believe in science, who are often misogynistic and often racist as well. So again, why would a journalist jump to the defense of the prime minister while quoting an opposition MP? The optics could not, could not have been any worse, Andrew. Yeah, and I think that there was a defense early on, because remember, when Justin Trudeau made that comment during the election, a lot of people didn't latch on to it. It wasn't until later when, in a lot of ways, his true colors, his true approach to this had become a lot more apparent, and people started looking at it in the broader context and saying, yeah, you really just hate the unvaccinated, and it's all of them. When we said, why do we tolerate these people? He, he specifically gave the percentage at the time of people that weren't vaccinated. So you can't take away from that that he wasn't talking about the unvaccinated in general, who he saw as really being indistinguishable from the people protesting his campaign at the time. No, and it's just it's just bizarre to me that the media, or, or frankly, that we're in a climate in which legacy media who know, there's no way, Andrew, that the media don't know the perception that they that many Canadians have about them. I refuse to believe that there is this level of ignorance in the legacy media where they just think that Canadians, uh, all, all Canadians trust them and take their, uh, you know, take for what they say to be absolutely fact. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna go, if you're gonna go down the road of fact checking, you really have to be darn sure that you've got the facts. And uh, look, no one can speak to the heart and mind of Justin Trudeau, uh, you know, except for him. But I think when you look at that con comment, it, it was not at all uh, something that you know Melissa Landsman was wrong to take as a broad swipe against uh, the unvaccinated in general. Uh, what else? There's so much to packing into this week, but a lot's happened. What else was on your radar? So we, we make fun of the media plenty of times. Usually it's for an over, usually it's for bias. Usually it's for some sort of, you know, attack on conservatives. But rarely, Andrew, does it come down to major errors in either spelling or in, in factual uh, errors, like getting the, getting the number wrong beside the new king's name. So CTV News Vancouver Island, uh, of course, you have, to give, you have to give some leash to these media outlets Reporting on the Queen's death was very difficult. There, there was, a, there was a, a pressure to get everything right and to get it out quick enough. So, of course, there were bound to be some errors. CTV News, Vancouver Island, however, uh, when, they, when they announced the death of Queen Elizabeth II, they wrote this on Twitter. A key point to Queen Elizabeth II's legacy is that she ascended to the throne, T-H-R-O-W-N, when she was only 25 and in a male-dominated patriarchy. So, <laughs> of course, they got the wrong throne there. And then they also talk about the male-dominated patriarchy, which I think doesn't need, to be, uh, doesn't need to be dissected too much to realize what's wrong in that tweet. But it wasn't enough. They, 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 they hadn't had enough of the, uh, I guess, the mockery from what they were getting in the comments, Andrew. So later they, uh, later they put out this tweet commenting, 
from this this person who I think has a pretty obvious bias against the monarchy. They write this tweet. Royal commentator Afua Hagen explains how King Charles II has to address colonialism and even reparations in order to truly modernize. I'm not sure, Andrew, but I think King Charles II died quite a, quite a while ago. Yeah, you know, it's going to be very difficult uh, for a guy who died 400 years ago to address colonialism and reparations, but just because it's difficult doesn't mean he shouldn't try. Yeah, I mean, just, just, just it was a double whammy on CTV News Vancouver Island. I guess they... They are, they're going to have to have a discussion with whoever writes their tweets, types up their tweets. I know we get some things wrong on social media too at True North. We're not perfect. No one's perfect. I think we also have to say that. But uh, in, in a week in which major transition has been taking place across the uh, Western world, it's a big major news announcement, the passing of our, monarch, our, our late monarch, Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, there's bound to be some errors in there. Those two were quite worth of a, quite worthy of highlight, I think, especially coming from the fact that it's it's the same little outlet on Vancouver Island, and it happens to be legacy media. So I'm sure at some point, Andrew, when they realized they had made these mistakes, maybe they thought to themselves, "Well, Harrison and Andrew are definitely going to hit us on Fake News Friday for this," and sure enough, we did. Yeah, I'm. I'm <laughs> I just want CTV to point out the non-male dominated patriarchy. Right? Yes, it's like, exactly. oh, this was this was a really bad patriarchy. <laughs> it was a male dominated patriarchy, as opposed to all those like other, uh, you know, female dominated patriarchies the which are patriarchy, uh, running around. Yes. They're they're very. I mean, it's, it's 2022, so you can't judge, I guess. But in any case, that is the week that was as far as fake news. My thanks, of course, to Harrison Faulkner, who you can catch every week in his great new show, Ratioed, and hopefully you'll uh, tune into my show, The Andrew Lawton Show. As well. Thank you all for joining us today, and thank you, Harrison. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, God bless, and have a good weekend.